Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the sports car market podcast. Market experts and car friends for over 30 years, Keith Martin and Mark Green have come together through their mutual love for collector cars. Keith and Mark will take you on a ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so that you know when to make your own decisions to buy, sell, or hold. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Mark Green from the Cars Yeah! Podcast. And I'm Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine. Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, what we like to call the essence of collecting, and this is show number 15. So, Keith, today, let's jump right in to some market moments. What has caught your eye lately? Well, on Bring a Trailer, there was a Citroen, a 1973 Citroen DS that sold for $13,000 at no reserve. I've owned a few Citroens. They look like spaceships going down the road. (laughs) Yeah. This one, uh, that seems cheap, but this one had some rust bubbles in certain parts of the car. The interior looked a little chowed. And the the problem with Citroëns is you need to have a really good Citroën mechanic on hand. Once you get the car set right, they stay right. But you don't want to take this to your Jiffy Lube and ask them to lube the suspension. No, probably not. Now, should that mechanic ride in the back seat? Is it that risky or or can he be in his own shop? Well, that's the problem when you buy a, a car like a Citroën and you don't know how well it's been taken care of because... Who knows if there have been any ham-fisted mechanics in there just kind of throwing parts at it willy-nilly or if it's been really properly maintained. It's the kind – once you get outside the mainstream of the market, and this could go to Lancia's as well, for instance, you need to know that the car has been owned by an enthusiast because you don't want to be the guy that takes over from ground zero and has to dig your way up to a good car. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, I used to work with a guy – named Kenji Yoshino. He actually sells Citroen parts up in Seattle, just north of me. He's been doing it for a long time. A guy who grew up in Japan who loves these cars. And I'll never forget the first time he said, hey, have you ever ridden in one of these? And I went, no, and went for a ride. It was like riding on a cloud. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly They're wonderful cars. So that's, you know, my my takeaway thought for today, Mark, is even though that car was only $13,000, it's hard to tell if it was a really great buy or just the beginning of a huge <laughs> expenditure. Well, you know, sometimes these things all, always are just the beginning, but they're also just the beginning of some fun and adventure. And when you buy a car like that, that perhaps you don't know a lot about what we've said on this show many times is reach out, join a Citroen club. They will help you. They will walk you through all the things, just like for you, Keith, in this uh Volvo that you've bought, uh, you said yesterday you put 150 miles on the thing, which is is cool. And speaking of putting miles on cars, uh, let's look a little bit ahead. You're already thinking about the summer and drives, aren't you? I am. Uh, you know, the SCM 1000 is sold out, and that goes on in July. I try to lead a group of four or five cars from Portland down to Monterey every August. We call it the Caravan de Concorso because we end up at Concorso Italiano. We're going to leave Saturday, August 8th from Portland. And we're going to take three days. So we go down the coast, we go to Eureka one night, go to Nevada the second night. We time our arrival in Monterey so that we miss all the rush hour traffic. Anybody who's interested in joining, uh, if you go to the podcast and click on it, my email comes up on my website. The email is up keith.martin at sportscarmarket.com. We make our own hotel reservations, our own dinner reservations. It's just a bunch of guys having a good time driving their cars 
and taken the time necessary to enjoy the ride. So it's we're going to leave Portland Saturday, August 8th, and arrive in Monterey on Monday. There you go. And anybody can join? Anybody? Well, 1974 and earlier. Okay. There's a couple rules there, but that's okay. You'll be with a bunch of like-minded, fun friends. And, of course, anytime you head down to uh, Car Week there in Monterey, Pebble Beach, uh, uh, there's an excitement in the air that builds and builds as you get there. So, uh, yeah, just go to the website. You can check it out. It'll be fun, and there's all sorts of other things going on this year. I mean, if, even if you can't make it to a car week, go to your local cars and coffee. Get in your old right. car, take it out, have some fun. That's what you need to do. So before we bring our guest in today, any last little thoughts you might have on collecting old cars, Keith? I, I just think that you need to be prepared for it to be a learning experience and also be aware that it's it's not going to be cheap if it's your first time in. You know, these cars are 50 and 60 years old. And it's going to cost some money to make them reliable so that you can enjoy them. If they're not reliable, you won't enjoy them. And so what's the point? So be prepared to spend a little money when you get an old car to set it up right. But the great thing is you can get in on almost any level. You can find a cool old car for 5000 bucks or $5 million, whatever your pocketbook is or the size of your check. Uh, you can have fun in this this world of old cars at all different levels. So don't feel like you're kept out just because you can't buy something super expensive because you can. We'll be back in a minute to talk with our guest today on Buy, Sell, Hold. But first, here's a special offer from the team at Sports Car Market. We'll be right back. Mark Green here. I have subscribed to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades. While I've dropped most of my other car magazine subscriptions, Sports Car Market is the one I'll never let go. It's a hold. Getting it monthly in my mailbox brings a huge smile to my face. Sports Car Market Magazine is filled with great articles and market updates on collector car values. It's a virtual treasure trove of value. Even the advertisements are fun to watch. Boy, I've got a deal for you. You're going to get $10 off your print subscription simply by using the code BSH on their website. Go to sportscarmarket.com slash BSH, use the code BSH, and get 10 bucks off your print subscription of Sports Car Market Magazine. That's a deal. That's code BSH at sportscarmarket.com slash BSH and get $10 off your print subscription today. Well, Mark, we're back. Who is our guest today? Today, we've got somebody pretty special on the show here, Gordon McCall on Buy, Sell, Hold. Gordon McCall is the president and CEO of McCall Events and director of motorsports at Quail Lodge and Golf Club in Carmel Valley, California. We all know about those events. He is the co-founder at The Quail, a motorsports gathering and Quail motorcycle gathering, two phenomenal events. His company produces exclusive VIP events, one of the best known being Gordon McCall's MotorWorks Revival at the Monterey Jet Center. It's a major kickoff party for that iconic week in August. We all like to call Car Week in Monterey, California. Now in its 29th year, I'm feeling a little old. Gordon has served as a class judge at the Pebble Beach Concord at Elegance and field coordinator for over 25 years. And Gordon will be hosting an upcoming TV series, which is very cool, called The Road to Prominence, which will be airing on Motor Trend this year. So, Gordon, welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Mark. Thank you so much. And Keith, uh, thanks for thanks for having me on your wonderful show. Nice, Gord. Let's jump right in. If you were to describe the collector car market today using just one word, what would that word be and why would you choose it? Well, Keith, I'd call it uh, healthy. 
And I think the main reason why is, let's use your show as an example. If this show was debuting, say, in the 60s or 70s, you guys would probably name it, love it, buy it, keep it forever. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we, we live in an information economy today. And as a result, the collector car world has turned into, you know, an economic one. You know, everybody's really driven by what stuff's worth, et cetera. And I, I say it's healthy because I think it's always been healthy. You know, when we go back in time, we think people have been buying, selling, trading cars since the second car was built. You know, they like to reuse that uh, saying in the, in the racing world, but it also goes true for the collecting world. People have collected cars because they're passionate about them. None of us need these things. We want them. And so I think it's healthy. And so whether or not it's spiking or going in a downward trend or flat, which is so well documented by wonderful publications like Sports Car Market, uh, the reality is it's healthy. You know, it's healthy. We're all still buying and selling cars. So uh, I just I like to let harken back to the old days when we didn't really track this stuff much. We just did it. Um, we weren't buying cars thinking about what they were going to be worth later. It was, what are they worth now? What kind of enjoyment am I, am I going to get out of it? So anyway, that's, that's kind of my view on where the market is. So that's great. So that's the market at large. Now, today we're going to talk about three cars that are very special to you, a car that you bought, a car that you've sold, and a car that you'll never let go of. Let's start with the memorable buy. Tell us about a car that you chased and chased, and then you finally got it, what the car was and what the process was like. I've had a few cars um, and a whole bunch of vintage motorcycles uh, over time, but I'm going to harken back to my first car, which when I think about it, you know, my interest in it started when I was maybe 13, 14 years old. Uh, I was a big fan of of racing, having grown up in literally the backyard of Laguna Seca Raceway. Uh, you couldn't help but notice what was going on out there. I used to go out to the Trans Am races, the Can Am races, et cetera, et cetera. That's just what you did as a kid back then. And something I really focused on were the successes that Pete Brock was having with his 2.5 Challenge dominating Dotson 510. I was just mesmerized by Pete's operation, John Morton, the the trailers, the, they, they really, really stood out in a Roger Penske way or in, even in a Jim Hall way. Pete Brock was pretty, pretty larger than life. Well, that car influenced me heavily to the point where I started saving up for my first car, which obviously was a Datsun 510. I bought it the day I turned 16, saved up the money working in a restaurant in Carmel, uh, got my driver's license and bought the car on the same day. And, you know, it's funny because, again, Pete was a huge influence on me. We have since become very good friends, and uh, it's almost surreal to have that experience as a car guy. But Pete and Gail Brock are two of the nicest people in the world. And so a 510 was my first car. And, I, you know, I ended up taking that car and modifying it to mimic a car that he had had in Motor Trend magazine called the Brock, uh, the Screaming Yellow Zonker. I don't know if you guys remember that car, oh, bright oh, yellow. Yes. yes. Okay. So. <laughs> Recently restored by Troy Ermish, it was at SEMA last year. That car was, uh, it was in Motor Trend Magazine, as I mentioned, and it had a huge impact on me. Well, I replicated that car at 16 years old. You know, fender flares, two-liter motor built up, Weber carburetors, five-speed out of a, out of a, out of a different Datsun, Roadster, uh, roll case. I mean, I did the whole thing. Well, I ended up selling that car for a fair amount of money a couple of years later. And I bought a 70 Irish Green 911S Porsche. So that Datsun 510 lit the fuse for me into my kind of interest in the car world. And so 
very important car in my life. And so I'm going to, I'm going to call that one the, the, you know, the, the interesting kind of hunt, uh, had to find the right one. And I was doing it all as a really young kid. So, uh, I, I kind of get a kick out of that. Yeah. Big influence. Did you ever uh, see his Dotzilla build? Of course. Of yeah. course. Actually, <laughs> I had that car at a jet center, uh, a couple of years ago, um, with the V8 stuff in it, you know, yeah. Pete is just an amazing, humble guy. And, uh, you know, I can actually, uh, I can segue into, Keith, to your, your, your other point, the car that, uh, you know, kind of that next buy, you know, what was the next, the, the next one? I think that was, was that a, I don't know if you sure, chose that sure, go ahead. or not. Go ahead, Gordon. Well, go ahead. Well, so, so here I was incredibly influenced by Pete Brock and, and the Dotson 510 movement and this little giant killer of a car. The thing that really struck me as I got to know a little bit more about Pete was his involvement with the design of the 63 split window Corvette. So many years ago, I, I just thought, you know what? I'm not a, I'm not an American car guy. I'll, I'll admit that all of my roots, my training, all, all my background are, are geared around foreign cars. But that 63 split window Corvette to me was always an iconic car. And the fact that Pete was 19 years old when he worked with Larry Shinoda on the design of that car is just remarkable to me. I think it's a true American iconic car. So I went on a long hunt and I'll tell you, and you guys know this a lot better than I do. The Corvette guys out there, oh my gosh, the, yeah. the, the whole NCRS thing. I mean, it, it's impressive. And at the same time, you know, I thought Porsche guys were, were crazy about numbers and such, but oh my gosh. So that was a huge awakening for me. And here comes one of these deals. So I finally, I find a Daytona blue, all the right numbers, NCRS gold, Bloomington gold car, et cetera. R- really great car. And here comes this next line, which was, the disappointment side of when something just flat out doesn't work. It, it, you know, your desire is so driven to get that car that you're yearning for. And for me, it was a big deal to find and per- be able to purchase a 63 split window. When I got the car, I realized I'm two inches too tall for that car. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you didn't, you didn't consider having your femur sectioned or anything like that. No, yeah, you know, <laughs> I didn't Keith. And you know, so here's an example. I was willing to take literally a hundred point show car. I was willing, you know, I wanted that car as a driver. I was going to drive it. I didn't care about it's not going to be a, I'm, you know, I'm a user. I'm, I'm an end user kind of guy. I'm not that kind of a collector. And so, usually when you get a really nice car, uh, it's the condition of the car that kind of prevents you from throwing it into service. Well, what prevented me was not that. It's just, I, I'll tell you, that's one thing you cannot fake in a car. We've all driven cars that have had compromising ergonomics, you know, but when, when you're two inches too tall, it's like, no, you know, it's not the car you choose to go on the rally or on the drive or out for a spin with your wife. It just, it really saddened me. Um, and I ended up selling that car because of it. You couldn't put a little bubble top on it like they do for the helmets? <laughs> yeah, a little gurney bubble. That would yeah. have been fun. Yeah, exactly. uh, I don't know if Pete, I don't, I don't know if Pete would have approved of the design of that, but. Uh, well, he could have helped you. Yeah. You know, I think that's yeah. cool. But, uh, well, you're very you know, tall. Tell our listeners how tall you are. So I'm six foot five, which, um, yeah. it, you know, which, which has a lot to do with me being a Porsche guy, because quite frankly, those cars have, I'll tell you, the Germans have it figured out. They, I, I've never run a seat all the way back in, in any 911 I've ever owned. Uh, and I've had them since literally I was 19. So it's pretty impressive. They've got the ergonomic thing down to a science. Plus, they are fun cars to drive. Gordon, those are two yep. cars that you bought. Let's talk about now a sale, a car that you sold, maybe had second thoughts about why you had to sell it, 
And what happened to the car? What happened to the deal? Why, why was there a car that was special to you that you had to let go of? Well, that would have been the 63 split window. I mean, that's a car uh, that I just yearn, I yearned for so much. And I've got to tell you, I practically cried when I sold it because, you know, again, just kind of the, the Pete involvement, it was, I just felt honored to be able to look at a 63 split window every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that can, that can have a car that isn't, isn't used. And so, I literally, I mean, I, I kind of fell apart with that car when I, when I sold it. Now, granted, I sold it to a really great guy. So I'm very happy about that. But that was the car that probably hurt the most selling, you know, um, that was a tough one. Well, when you want something that badly and you find something so special, plus the relationship with Pete Brock and the design going back to your love for his racing days. I mean, everything, everything you've shared here is like this perfect recipe. And you put it in the oven and then you take it out and it falls flat. It's like, yeah, no. yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That I know. Happen. Oh my gosh. I was well, heartbroken. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, let's take a short break. We'll catch our breath after this. Uh, our friends at Sports Car Market have a special deal for our listeners and we'll be right back to talk about the vehicle that you'll never let go. So we'll be right back. I've been subscribing to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades, and it shows up like clockwork in my mailbox every month. But what about when I'm on the road? Did you know that digital subscriptions to Sports Car Market are just $2.50 a month when you sign up with the promo code DIGITAL50? That's less than a cup of coffee. You get 50% off regular price just for listening here to Buy, Sell, Hold. Plus, digital subscribers receive instant access to a year's worth of back issues and the exclusive Insider's Guide, including the 2020 Insider's Guide to the beautiful Amelia Island Concourse and all the spring auctions as well. No more boredom while sitting at the airport or on your flight. To get your Sports Car Market digital subscription at this discount, go to sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. Your order will automatically get you the 50% off. What a deal. Go and sign up today at sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. All right, we're back. So, Gordon, I'm going to ask you about a vehicle that you are pretty sure you'll never sell. Everything about it you love. Kind of walk us through this great memory, the experience, how you found the car, the first time you drove it, what it was like, and why you're not going to part with this one. This is an easy one, Mark. And again, it uh, it plays all the way back to my first car all these years ago. So when I bought that Datsun 510, what I really wanted to buy was a 240Z. And granted, this goes back to the mid-70s. So the 240Z, you know, had been introduced in 71. It was a fairly new car at the time, you know, arguably put a couple of British car manufacturers out of business. The Z car was really something else when it hit the U.S. soil. It really was. And so at that time, though, the difference between uh, buying a used 510 as a 16-year-old kid, buying a used 510 for 1200 bucks versus a brand new 240Z for 3750 or whatever they went for might as well have been a hundred thousand dollar car you know it was just it was that big of a world of difference right so that's the car i always wanted at that age well a few years ago i finally decided to track down a, a good z and it, it is difficult finding a good z it's kind of like trying to find a good bmw 3.0 cs that doesn't have the tin worm and all the rest of it you know there's certain cars out there that kind of are known for those weak areas right well and these were never really worth much. And so they were used, you know, they were driven. They had a lot of miles on them. So finding a good one was a challenge. I did. And I've got to tell you, that is a car. I've had that car for a few years now. 
that one's not going anywhere. And there's even a parallel, there's, there's even a parallel track. And it's fun for me to see, again, I don't buy something for what I think it's going to be worth later. You know, I, I want to be smart, you know, on a business side, but at the same time, it's more of an emotional thing for me than it is economics, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, but you know, you don't want to be the fool. So it's nice to see these getting recognized, uh, which they certainly are right now. I know bring a trailer, just hit a home run the other day with, oh, with a $300,000 yeah, over, over 300. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, incredible. <laughs> can you believe that? I mean, you know, granted, yeah. it's the gold standard. It's a twenty-three thousand mile green, all original paper. I mean, it's but that just goes to show that you know maybe there's only that one person that thinks it's in that arena. But what it's done is is kind of put a spotlight on those cars as being significant, and I think they are. You know, that was a it was a uh, every man's sports car. So what's interesting though? So um, here, I, I love the design. Of the Z, I always have the long hood, the raked rear window. It's just got a really stylish look that's that's similar to you could compare it arguably if you squint to a Daytona of the same era. You know, it's got that same kind of. I think the Japanese designers were very much influenced. Similarly, Bill Mitchell was influenced uh, as well. And so, when I was going to Carmel High School, all the cool guys had Mustangs and Camaros. I had a Datsun, right? Nobody even knew what a Datsun was at the time. <laughs> I, I always liked the Gen 2 Z28. So years ago, I ended up buying a Z28, a 72. It's, it's kind of hysterical. It's uh, it's silver with white stripes and a white interior. I mean, it's so 70s disco, wow, but yeah. it's actually a really cool car. And so what I've ended up doing in my little my garage is I've got this tail of two Zs going on. Because if you put the 71 240Z next to a 72 Z28 and squint, you know, those are two cars that come from two different worlds, literally, but the similarities are remarkable in the mm-hmm. styling, which was influenced by the great Italian designer. Sure. And, you know, that. the 72 um, Z28, what's interesting is there was an, a UAW strike that year. They only built 2,500 of those cars. And so in terms of American car production numbers, that's kind of crazy. But to answer your question in a very long manner, and I apologize for that, no, that Dotson 24, that that Datsun 240Z is not going anywhere. That car puts a smile on my face. Uh, it just kind of reminds me of that car. I wish I'd been able to buy when I was younger, and, you know, and uh, it's an everyman car. They're very affordable. You know, you don't have to, it's not one of those crazy collector car values, which I, I really love, even though they've gone up, they're still very affordable. And I think that's, uh, that's good. So, so Gordon, let me ask you the tough question here. Here's got, you've got the Z you're never going to let it go of. A Z just sold for $310,000. We agree that's a lot of money. Yes. Yep. Yep. So a guy comes to you and says, God, Gordon, uh, I'd like to buy your Z for $310,000. Would you sell it to me? In about 30 seconds, and I'd be in an airplane <laughs> in the Midwest, and I'd buy another Z for 30 grand. <laughs> so there is a number. Because there is a number. Not, not everybody knows about that $300,000 Z, and so there are people elsewhere in the country that aren't as tuned into, you know, you do a little snooping, and that's the fun part, right, Keith? You do that's, a little, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You do a little door knocking, and all of a sudden you come across a Z that a, a person's had for 40 years, and, and they think $30,000 is stupid money. Who's this idiot? from california right um yeah <laughs> I, don't I, let him, i'd be all let him, that one okay so let's talk about a car that you might not have right now let's talk about uh-huh. your ideal collector car not the most expensive not the most famous but a car that you could do anything in you go out to the car you could go on tours rallies 
What would that car be that you think is the best all-around collector car? So that's a pretty easy, uh, that's an easy one for me as well, Keith. You know, years ago, before before I got involved in the event world and before I was affiliated with auction houses, uh, I cut my teeth working at a Ferrari dealership in Monterey, Ramsey Motors. And I've got a hands-on period of time in my life where I was working on Ferraris. And, and I'll never forget that era because that it taught me a lot about how there's this huge disconnect between people that design cars and build them and people that work on them for a living, <laughs> yeah. especially when they're Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, I think you can, you can admit to that with your Alpha Montreal, Keith, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but having said that, I would say for me, the ultimate kind of dream, uh, and who knows, maybe someday, but I think just for an all around wonderful usable car, I've got to say it's a 72. 365 GTB4 Daytona Ferrari. I, I think those cars are surprisingly reliable. Uh, they're fun to work on. They're easy to work on. And they are fun to drive. Now, granted, all three pedals feel like the brake pedal. So they're not exactly <laughs> an easy car to drive around town. But other than that, I just think the styling of it and kind of in the back of my mind, I can picture a Daytona next to a 240Z, a Z28, and a Daytona all lined up together. The influence of the design, I, it would it would be a fun a fun addition. So that's that's the car I would pick. You know, it's interesting. You talked about those cars. My son Blake, one summer in high school, worked in a shop, and the owner had one of those cars. And so he had Blake start to take things apart and clean them. And one evening, I said, "So how are things going with the Daytona?" And he said, "Dad, who are these Italians?" And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I mean, they're beautiful on the outside, but you start getting on the inside. And I think they were all drinking Chianti when they were building this thing. <laughs> and he started talking about, you know, one headlight bucket didn't measure the same as the other headlight bucket. And bucket. And then he started taking the wheels and suspension apart. And he's like, the mounting points aren't even in the same place when you measure them. And I said, well, you've discovered the magic of old Ferraris. And you know what's amazing about that, Mark? It's despite that. They are wonderful cars. I you know, know, they have yeah. a, they have a soul to them that, uh, that, that many others just don't, you know, and you just have to put up with that stuff. They're quirky and, you know, you kind of, you know, that going into it. It's funny though, back when I looked back in the days when I was working at that Ferrari dealership, a Daytona back then was about a $12,000 car, which w was not crazy money. You know, a Porsche was maybe eight. Porsches, I think were, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars for a nice Porsche. Every other car under the sun was maybe $3,500, dollars So if you drove a Daytona, it's not because you were uber wealthy. It was because you really wanted something different and you loved to drive. And I, I think that's really neat. There's a bit of a stigma, unfortunately, at least in my mind, that seems to come with those cars today. There's this Ferrari thing. Personally, I, just, I don't think the car deserves it. I think it just has a lot to do with you know, the, the, we've got a lot of a, a lot of coverage now on these cars, these exotic cars from the 60s and 70s. And so anyhow, that's the car I definitely choose. Long answer to your short question, Keith. Gordon, let's, uh, you described the market at the beginning of our podcast here as healthy. Now, last year, uh, Monterey uh, sales were down quite a bit, over 25%. Scottsdale sales were actually up 1%, up a little bit. How has the market today affected your business uh, your company, you have a new uh, motorsports uh, 
part. Uh, yeah, monitoring. Yes, that we, we, we like to know about. So, has that market had any effect on the motorsports revival and on your new motorsports park? How does what you're doing as a business fit in with the way cars are being bought and sold today? Uh, it's a really good question, Keith. And I think um, being flexible is kind of the key, uh, regardless of what industry you're in. I think it's an important thing to be able to contract and expand, you know, when, when necessary. Um, interestingly enough, you mentioned the Monterey Motorsport Park development, which I'm a partner in. This is my first official phone call from my new office <laughs> with you guys. All right. <laughs> Very cool. So it, we're an 86,000 square foot uh, facility to house, you know, people's collector cars. You can own your own space, et cetera. Um, we're 60% committed and the project isn't finished yet. So I'd have to say, you know, I cannot help but look back to 2008 and think, wow, if, if any business can survive 2008, 2009, you've done something right. And so uh, right-sizing a business was something that I, I learned how to do on the fly. And, uh, you know, if we think the automotive world was hit in that recession, um, the aviation industry was hit even harder. And I deal in both of those arenas. And we were able to continue to move things forward. So as far as how... My business has been affected by the the trends in the market. It's definitely been affected in a positive way because there's more interest in collector cars today than there was. And thanks to publications such as yours, Keith, and podcasts such as yours, Mark, I think getting word out has really brought a lot of people into the arena, which I think is wonderful. But I think keeping sensible and mindful of, uh, you know, not expanding too fast, remaining conservative, offering quality service. You know, over delivering. I, I think these are all things that kind of play into how you, how one adjusts to whether markets are good or bad. So I don't know if that answers the question, but it's, it's kind of how I approach things. Well, it seems to have worked really well. And I'll tell our listeners, I got invited to a party last year during Monterey Car Week. I was out at the Monterey Motorsports Park at your new facility. I mean, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal what you've done there and very bold and, and spectacular. I, I was so impressed. I want to encourage people, we'll make sure we put a link to the website there for Monterey Motorsports Park if you have some interest in being involved. Uh, go take a peek at this. I mean, it's fun uh, going into the, the different uh, spaces that you have there and up to the mezzanines, and you can just sit there and go, man, this is a place I want to spend some time. And is that where your actual new office is at the park? It is. Yeah, yeah it is. I'm in, uh, I'm in the first building, uh, Building A. I have to agree with you, Mark. It's a really, um, it's it's a wonderful atmosphere. And the Monterey Peninsula is, is kind of tricky when it comes to real estate. Um, you know, if you're into cars, it's really tough to find a home on the peninsula that has more than a two-car garage. You know, you're kind of lucky to get a two-car garage. So what do you do if you're into cars? And so this is a great solution for that. We've got some incredible people buying into this facility. And that's another aspect of it is kind of this ecosystem of owners, you know, just really interesting people. Typically, one degree of separation. I, I kind of hate to say this, but most of the people buying here are friends of mine. <laughs> and so nice. um, I feel like I'm getting away with something because I'm just going to be surrounded by some really, <laughs> you know, fun people that I like spending time with. And, uh, but they say the same thing. You know, I think it's neat. I think we'd all agree that none of us enjoy this car thing, or I'm going to throw the word motorcycle in there as well. None of us enjoy it in a vacuum. That's not what it's about. It's about sharing, you know, which, what your interests are and learning about others. And, and, you know, Mark, nobody does that better than you with your, with your podcast. And Keith, what you've done with your magazine is, is, it, you know, it's just look at how many people you've brought into kind of the nuts and bolts of the collector car world. And it's, it's admirable. It really is. And I'm, I'm just honored to be a part of it. You know, you guys are, uh, you're inspirational and I really, uh, I really enjoy knowing both of you. It means a lot to me. 
Well, thanks. Well, the check's in the mail for all those kind words. We really appreciate it. (laughs) You can do that. But what are some of the best ways for people to learn more about Monterey Motorsports Park, to learn more about the MotorWorks Revival event, um, the Quail events? Websites? Yeah, websites are probably the easiest way to do it. I'm I'm on Instagram, although, you know, generationally, I am not a uh, prolific uh, Instagram, Facebook kind of guy, but I do have positions in both. But um, our main event, uh, our, our main business website is simply McCallEvents.com. And uh, Monterey Motorsport Park, it's, um, it's motorsport without an S. So it's MontereyMotorsportPark.com. Great website there with lots of information and not to, uh, not to sound like a salesman because I am not, but, uh, we have some, as I'd mentioned, we have some really interesting without mentioning names. We've got you know, the number two guy, one of the big three, uh, auto manufacturers, domestic auto manufacturers is an owner here. We've got a three time world champion MotoGP motorcycle racer here. I mean, we've got some really great people that are owning spaces here. And, you know, the idea of rent. Uh, in, in, for commercial purposes can be a thing of the past. And, you know, you can actually own your own space, which is a good business decision to make as well. So those are, those are the easiest way to, to get a hold of us. There you go. There you go. Well, Gordon, it's been so much fun. You've taken us on a great ride. We knew you would. You're a treasure trove of knowledge, a guy that's been in the market and in the car world forever. I mean, you know, like I said at the beginning, I joked about feeling a little bit old, but I remember when you had your very first quote unquote jet party. I was privileged to be at that. And I went, man, he's on to something. And now we're 29 <laughs> years into it. I was there last year. I'll be there again. It's fantastic. So I'll remind our listeners, you can find all these links on Gordon McCall's show notes page on the sports car market website or the car show website. Check it out. Follow him. What's your Instagram handle real quick so I get that right? Yeah, so it's, it's Gordon McCall 75. We'll make sure that we put that up there as well so you can follow him. Uh, this guy gets around and does some really cool things. We didn't even touch on some of the other crazy things in your life, like setting land speed records on bicycles, uh, on salt flats, <laughs> and some of the things you do. You got your hands in everything. That's what makes you so interesting. So we really appreciate you spending some time with us here today. Thank you for being so generous. I know you're a busy guy. This has been great fun. Absolutely. My pleasure, you guys. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. It's really been great talking to you. We'll see you this summer. Sounds sounds good. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Keith. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Mark Green here. If you love the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast, you'll want to listen to my Cars Yeah podcast. We're over five years. I've interviewed over 1,475 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You'll have free access to my guest shows five days a week. These are amazing people who share their world around cars, trucks, and motorcycles. I take a deep dive into their businesses, and they share with you how they've wrapped their passion for vehicles into their lives. Plus, go to the CarsYeah.com website and hit the free book button, and I'll email you my free filler-up book. It's an ebook filled with beautiful fuel filler fun, and inspiring quotes from my past guests. Once subscribed, you'll get my weekly blog as well. You can find all the Cars yeah shows on CarsYeah.com or on any mobile device using your podcast app. Just search for Cars yeah Podcast and subscribe today. That way you'll get both Buy, Sell, Hold with Keith and me and the Cars yeah Podcast delivered right to your mobile device or your computer. Thanks for listening. We hope to have shed some light today on the collector car market. You can listen to all the Buy, Sell, Hold podcasts at sportscarmarket.com and carsyeah.com. You'll find hundreds of inspiring automotive enthusiasts on the Cars Yeah website as well. 
Be sure to log into sportscarmarket.com and subscribe to Keith's SCM Weekly Newsletter. You'll find digital issues, insider event guides, and price guides, along with our platinum database, column profiles, classifieds, and many other resources. Join Keith and Mark next week to hear from another automotive industry leader who will help you determine when to buy, sell, or hold.